Story six of Elsie and the Child, a tale of Riceyman's Steps and other stories by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story six, nine o'clock tomorrow. One. James Deborah descended from his car at the entrance to the club. The same adjective applied to himself as to the car. He was perfectly appointed. A dark and handsome Jew, with riches increasing every month, he had the face of a kind, capable, clear-thinking, orderly, masterful, and successful man. In the Jewish community he was much respected for strict orthodoxy, broad generosity, and artistic taste. His pride of race was intense. Charitable in estimating mankind, he accepted only one type of individual from his benevolence. He had nothing but scorn, a scorn fierce, cold, and taciturn, for the renegade Jew. Nine-forty-five, he said to the chauffeur. He said it with a friendly, reliant smile, as one human being to another. But in the firm features and gaze there was somehow the warning implication that he did not mean nine-forty-six. He crossed the pavement of Pall walked up the noble and massive steps of the club, glanced at the encaged hall porter, who by a sign indicated that there were no letters for him, hung his hat in the cloakroom on peg number 58, mnemonics five-eighths are forty, his age, passed into the lavatory to wash, and then through the great dim tessellated and pillared hall to the coffee-room, as the restaurant of the club was still called. The long apartment, severe, beautiful, magnificent, disfigured only by bad portraits of statesmen, had just been lighted for the evening. It had tables for a hundred and fifty, and at lunch nearly every chair was occupied. But now there were fewer diners than stewards, cashiers, waiters, waitresses, and page-girls. Deborah, with an inquiring eye, sought among the infrequent guests for an acquaintance whose company might attract him, and found none, sat down solitary at a table for four, and ordered some food and half a bottle of champagne from an old congenial steward, who devolved part of the command to a pale and high-heeled waitress. "'Rather dark here, Courser. I shan't be able to see my plate for my shadow,' said Deborah cheerfully." "'Yes, sir,' the old steward replied, and his manner showed that he had the deep sentiment of Pell-Mell in his bones. "'They have talked of putting in extra chandeliers, but it seems it wouldn't suit the architecture.' "'We must resign ourselves, I suppose. You might bring me the Westminster Gazette, will you?' "'Certainly, sir.' Corsair went off to get the wine and the paper. When the waitress arrived with the soup, Deborah slyly examined the face, which he could not recall— it was a sad, pretty face, blonde and brainless, with a foolish little mouth. He thought, why is she here with her high heels? No tips, nothing. She ought to be in the front row of a theatre chorus. For a moment he imaginatively conceived her as a living creature with desires and sorrows. The whole room was as melancholy as the girl's face. What a contrast with the same room in the lunch hour, when friends and acquaintances and enemies sat close together in amiable and playful conversations, teasing one another, firing off scandal, innuendos, indictments, satire, sarcasm, all in utmost good humour. 
you could say anything then simply anything provided you used the right club tone the lunch hour was the apogee of the club's day to lunch at the club was the proper thing far better and more amusing than to lunch anywhere else but the diners chiefly old dull and preoccupied had the air of dining at the club because they could dine nowhere else an air neglected desolate and gloomy they did not in fact dine they solemnly nourished themselves and the attendants prisoners of the club seemed to partake of the desolation of the diners as was indeed correct behaviour on their part for it was their business to reflect the club's mood as it changed from morn to eve deborah lodged the westminster gazette in front of the cruet but to read it was too much trouble he preferred to savour the vast despondency of the room not that he shared it no his own cheerfulness quite uninfected he merely commiserated the diners and with benign urbanity disdained them nor did he object to dining alone being a man of very varied interests sentimental and otherwise he was accustomed to evenings over full and occasional solitude made a piquant change for him raphael field r a came vaguely in a tall stout stooping slouching old man with white hair and a boyish look on his rather rugged red carelessly shaven face and pale hands whose joints were much enlarged he wore shabby but well-cut tweeds clumsy black boots a low collar and a little black tie of the last insignificance raphael field's career had been a series of triumphs not the least of which was the triumph over his fond father an excessively bad mid-victorian painter who had baptized his offspring with that absurd christian name and insisted that he must and would be a great artist that any one so handicapped should especially after having commenced as an author become the most distinguished and successful painter of his epoch redeeming his christian name from its absurdity and reluctantly joining the academy late in life in order to oblige the academy and to give lustre to that poor old body this was miraculously against all the chances and an astounding demonstration of the man's native force Raphael Field would have been a first-rate lion at any West End party, and the chief lion at most. But in the club, which was a club of celebrities, rich men, high officials, expensive professionals, prominent statesmen, he was just an individual like the rest of the members. Indeed, he had a naive, semi-apologetic demeanor, as though acknowledging that the renown of a painter, however wealthy and successful, could not truly be as authentic and imposing as that of a millionaire, a specialist doctor, a gladiator of the bar, or a transient cabinet minister. He was wandering at large, rather like an ox on a high road, past Deborah's table, when Deborah stopped him good evening mr field said deborah with his well-known bright smile and the respect due to genius and to a man not far off thirty years older than himself the sound of his name seemed to recall raphael field from another world he marshalled his strayed faculties in the manner of the old and stooped hugely over deborah and the table 
ah mr deborah his faint answering smile showed the ruined irregular teeth have you forgiven me for outbidding you for that queen anne table at christie's raphael field suddenly beamed ah he said in his rich deep voice the voice of a strong vital energy that was not yet quite spent ah you city men always get what you want we others are content with your leavings now now mr field deborah protested banteringly that's irony it's common knowledge you've got one of the finest collections in london and do you know i've been ashamed of myself ever since last thursday i'll be delighted to send you round that table at the price of your last bid i was carried away with your experience as a collector you must know the feeling and i forgot myself otherwise i shouldn't have dreamed of bidding against you let me send you the table i should feel privileged but this is exceedingly generous of you said field simply and sincerely i don't know that i shouldn't take you at your word i'm an awful brigand only that yesterday i happened to pick up an even more interesting table than the one you carried off under my guns pop guns shall we say i'm so glad deborah put genuine relief into his tone you've lifted a weight off my conscience i expect you're dining with someone or i'd ask you to sit here may i murmured the eternal boy deborah quickly cast the westminster gazette onto the floor i shall be honoured he said earnestly and he meant it geniuses are rare he had only a slight acquaintance with raphael field and was eager enough to strengthen it after all his own title to distinction was slender true he had a house in cavendish square and there were ten gardeners on his place in oxfordshire and he enjoyed great consideration in the city and in restaurants and in auction rooms and he knew a thing or two about all the arts which is more than could be said of most artists but field was the unique raphael field field would receive an obituary notice of at least two columns in the times yea and in the new york and chicago papers also and his biography when it came to be written would run to a couple of volumes and perhaps eight hundred pages they talked about the menu field examined the card as though it were a cuneiform inscription and yet he seemed to know all about it deborah soon saw however that the old gentleman was incapable of composing a meal artistically and he thought how strange and pitiful it was that a man should know brilliant triumph and go down to the grave without having acquired the skill to compose a meal artistically deborah had the respect of all the chief head waiters in london he was gathering courage to say may i suggest when the competent and soothing courser came to field's assistance evidently courser knew field's weaknesses after a colloquy with courser field blew out breath ah oh, that's done he said eased and then he said this room's very dull and dark at night don't you think i agree deborah responded with a grimish smile i usually lunch here it's quite different then i'm surprised to find it is so empty it's nearly as empty as the library by the way mr field what are your views about the suggestion for turning the library into the smoking-room and vice versa the present smoking-room's uncomfortably small the library's twice as big and is only used as a dormitory 
i did hear something about the suggestion field replied with slow negligence but i don't know that i care for all these changes i remember this club for thirty years i remember it when you could get a meal and a tankard of ale for a shilling or was it one and tuppence i don't find many changes for the better oh, i dare say you're right deborah concurred deferentially we mustn't forget the claims of tradition in a place like this but he was thinking sadly here is one of that tribe of obstinate old mummies who keep all good clubs a quarter of a century behind the times do you dine here often he asked in a diplomatic tone that dismissed the delicate subject every night nearly said field really i'm never here at night myself mr field if it won't bore you i wish you'd tell me something about picture prices i'm very ignorant i've often wanted to pick your brains but i never hope to get the chance and he skilfully led the old man into the enchanting domain of prices especially the history of the prices of field's own early pictures and he made field feel glorious and so doing realized with elation that he was once more casting the spell of his personal charm over a fellow-creature nevertheless while he listened interested and talked interestedly he was saying in his heart if i hadn't asked the old fellow to sit here he'd have been dining by himself and he dines here every night generally by himself i bet what a life what's the use of being a genius and successful and famous if you're driven to eat in this catacomb every night why doesn't he accept invitations must have lots simply doesn't want to i suppose he grew very sad in secret the evening despondency of the big room had at last infected him he was filled with painful compassion for the distinguished celebrity raphael field more he was filled with compassion for the whole human race of which so few members had any sound comprehension of the great art of life as he understood it just then he detected the waitress delivering a comic naughty grimace to the impassable courser this shocking and delightful phenomenon modified his mood of pity for all mankind he hated waste at the end of the dinner raphael sighed and announced that he was going home i'm going to said deborah on a sudden impulse which way do you go cavendish square i'm on your route then if i might walk with you deborah suggested respectfully i walk so damned slowly oh i'm not a runner myself field's eyes gleamed the friendship was growing field said deliberately would you care to look in at my place i'd show you some bits of queen anne mr field you're too kind it's an unexpected pleasure and i jump at it said deborah with eagerness a renewed realization of the fact that he possessed a most singular power of captivating people began to mingle with an exciting sense of anticipation he had an earnest desire to probe more deeply into field's existence and he was about to gratify it perhaps it was a morbid desire but there it was and he was an amateur of human nature as they left the club he murmured discreetly to the hall porter when my car comes just tell the chauffeur i shan't want him any more tonight will you thanks two raphael field wore a curious short cape 
thrown lightly on his shoulders in the cool summer evening this cape flowing out under his rather long dishevelled white hair added to the pathos of his appearance as he anxiously undertook the feat of threading himself between the taxicabs in the dark dusk of pell-mell deborah thought with pain and if i were not with him the old gentleman would be crossing pell-mell alone when they reached orange square the whole of which had been built at the end of the seventeenth century field drew out a bunch of keys and turned into a side street although his address was orange square his front door was in the side street he spent half a minute in selecting his latch-key and another half minute in getting the door open then he stumbled up two steps and groaning slightly switched on the electric light on the staircase and deborah had a glimpse of pictures rising in slopes above him they were obviously fine pictures but the stair carpet lacked distinction we'll take the lift said raphael field banging the front door it's my exclusive property but i never use it at night for fear it would jam halfway and i shouldn't be able to make my people hear however as you're with me it never does jam you know but it might he laughed uneasily they took the lift which field manipulated it barely held the two of them when they emerged from it in safety field seemed surprised and deborah had a feeling of relief shall we go into the studio but when field pulled the switch down no light resulted in the studio ah that fuse must have gone again said he let's try the drawing-room in the drawing-room he rang the bell deborah heard the sound of it in the distance above no answer hm grunted field and rang again no answer hm grunted field and went out to the corridor and called higginbotham no answer he returned to the drawing-room in bed and asleep i suppose he said i keep a man and his wife here but i suppose one can't expect servants to work more than fourteen hours a day seven days a week he laughed uneasily once more oh here are the drinks he's put them in the other corner to-night you've lived here for about forty years haven't you mr field said deborah at least so it's generally understood how central you are he added flatteringly equidistant from regent street bond street piccadilly and oxford street it puts cavendish square quite in the suburbs oh no no answered field funny how that story got about of my living here for forty years it's true i first had the place forty years ago but i gave it up after seven or eight years i had the whole house then there were no business houses in orange square then now nearly every house is wholly or partly let for business purposes the two floors under us are occupied by a very fashionable dressmaker she is a limited company and she has the main entrance and the main staircase i use now what used to be the servants entrance and staircase in my time yes i gave up the place couldn't stand it somehow when i came back to england after living in paris about ten years ago i heard that the upper floors were to let and so i took them thought i might as well as you say it's very central what'll you have a little soda-water if i may can't keep my eyes off your pictures mr field you'll excuse me if i look around do my dear fellow do most of em are given to me by the painters 
I've got some furniture here, as you see, but very little. The fact is, most of my furniture's stored in Paris. I couldn't be bothered to bring it over. They examined a magnificent picture by Cézanne together. It's one of the three or four very finest I've seen, said Devra earnestly. Instead of replying, Raphael Field opened a little drawer and pulled out a duster and delicately dusted the frame. I keep my own private duster in every room, said he, with his uneasy laugh. They passed from room to empty room, all the walls lined with pictures. Field, in a rather childish way, returned to the studio door and tried the ineffectual switch again, and Devra vaguely made out a large bare interior with the statue of a woman that in the gloom resembled a living woman so startlingly as to cause his flesh to creep for an instant. Do you paint every day? Most days. Some days I can't be bothered, and I just sit about or go to the National Gallery. Field displayed the whole floor, even to the bathroom. Fairly spacious, considering its situation, isn't it? Ah, it is indeed. Hmm. Deborah had offered appropriate remarks in front of the principal pictures, but in fact he was not thinking about the pictures at all. The existence of Raphael Field preoccupied him and desolated him. He saw the old man in his queer cape walking home solitary every night from his solitary dinner and fumbling with his bunch of keys and fumbling at the keyhole and puffing up the stairs, the servant's stairs, on his antique legs because he was afraid of the lift and ringing vainly for servants and sitting silent and lonely, now in this room, now in that, and probably fumbling with the old-fashioned geyser in the bathroom with the linoleum floor, and finally undressing alone and getting into bed and lying awake alone. But the most heartrending thing of all was the private duster kept in every room to remedy the negligence of servants. Devra was waited on hand and foot by servants in Cavendish Square. If Devra came home at 3 a.m. and rang a bell that was unanswered, he would have thought the day of judgment was at hand. As for switches that wouldn't work, as for geysers, as for linoleum in a bathroom, as for private dusters hidden in drawers, his imagination simply refused to conceive the phenomena in connection with his own existence. Of course, the pictures were superb, far finer than Devra's. The sale of them would be a notable event after Field's death. But they were chiefly gifts. Field had not bought them, and Devra somehow could not attach a genuine value to that which had not cost money. The furniture was first-rate. There were several museum pieces, but the quantity of it was disappointing. What in the name of common sense and efficiency was the point of keeping beautiful furniture stored away in Paris? The flat was large, but it was only large for a flat. Devra's house in Cavendish Square would hold three of it. His place in Oxfordshire would hold six of it. And the flat was not clean. The one indisputable quality it possessed was an impeccable tidiness. Here was Raphael Field, world-renowned, his name familiar and sacred to the lips of every connoisseur throughout Christendom. What had he got out of life? The pathos of him was tragic, shattering. 
they wandered back through the emptiness of the flat with the mystery of the servants rooms above them and the mystery of the dressmakers ateliers below them to the drawing-room oh here's that queen anne table i was telling you of said the old man pretty good isn't it very interesting very interesting said devrah responsively after he had inspected the piece with polite thoroughness but he did not really think that it was very interesting it was indeed indisputably second-rate and he wondered that the old man should have been deceived by it still he went on praising it quite convincingly for he could never resist the temptation to be agreeable curious thing said field very curious thing i picked that up in mortimer street on monday for less than i gave for it in the eighteen eighties then it belonged to you before deborah stone was positively eager it did and there's a very curious incident connected with it may i hear it or is it a secret it would bore you mr field mr field deborah's dark eyes glinted a discreet flattery it used to be a secret but the thing happened so long ago it needn't be a secret any more i wrote it all down at the time did you know i once had literary ambitions ambitions mr field did i know i have all your three books in my library the old man flushed with satisfaction and his face was more boyish more naive than ever like me to read it to you i shall insist mr field slowly and clumsily the old man produced his keys unlocked a bookcase adjusted his eyeglasses anew and chose a calf-bound book from the shelves the first volume of a journal that i used to keep for practice said he and sat down under a light and turned pages backwards and forwards breathing rather heavily here it is i was looking at it on monday night it's very jejune i'm afraid perhaps i ought to explain no let's let it explain itself i'll only say that at the time i wrote it i had almost given up my literary ambitions this is what he read in his rich deep voice three friday morning i was in my beautiful new old house all by myself just finishing my packing ready to go away for the weekend to harry's there was a terrible state of dirt and mess because the workmen weren't finally leaving until next day the front doorbell rang at first i thought i'd let it ring but it rang several times the ringing of the bell made the house seem very large and empty and me very lonely in it my charwoman had gone i wouldn't let her stay in the house after me at last i went downstairs the front door was locked and the key was gone the workman had taken it away by arrangement i was supposed to be using the servants entrance so i had to go out into the street by the side door and round the corner to the front door a girl was standing in the portico she was dressed in black i had made a movement as if to raise my hat before i remembered that i wasn't wearing a hat i asked her what she wanted and she said she wanted to see mr raphael field then she said you're mr field aren't you i explained how i was situated and brought her round to the side entrance and upstairs to the second floor nothing else being even half habitable no carpets down naturally it was to this room i brought her field interjected there were two kitchen chairs my easel dais and so on 
a floor sweeper, and the Queen Anne table I'd found a fortnight ago. That was all, except some planks and trestles that the workmen hadn't removed. She was extremely nervous, and I was rather nervous too. She said she wanted me to paint her portrait at once. She was leaving England the next day. Just a sketch portrait. She had come to me because I had painted a portrait of a friend of hers, and she wanted the portrait of herself to give to the mother of that friend. What friend? She preferred not to say, and hoped I would excuse her. I told her that I was just going out of London, should be gone in half an hour, had a train to catch. But some other day I'd be delighted. She didn't speak, and I perceived she couldn't speak. The tears were falling from her eyes. I was considerably upset. In fact, I had the most extraordinary sensations. There I was alone in the big house with her. I felt very sad and depressed. I'm a successful man, but I wondered whether I could afford the big house and the servants I'd engaged and pay the rent and everything. I felt very solitary in the world. It was very curious how I felt. All at once, and without quite intending to do so, I told her I'd go out and send a telegram to say that I couldn't leave London until tomorrow, and I'd do her a sketch portrait immediately. She did not protest. No, she just looked at me, quietly crying. It was a rather wild thing for me to do, and I shouldn't have done it, only she was a most beautiful young girl, with very fair hair, and dressed in half-mourning, which suited her. I knew nothing whatever about her except that she was a most beautiful young girl with fair hair. I had very little desire to know anything else about her. I ran off. I was kept a long time at the Regent Street post office, telegraphing to Harry. When I returned, she was sweeping the floor. Indeed, she'd practically swept it. Her bonnet was hung on the back of a chair. I was thrilled, couldn't utter a word. I had a prickly feeling all over my skin. She smiled. I told her I'd paint her in her bonnet, and I put a chair on the dais and asked her to take a pose. While I was fixing the easel and arranging my palette, she looked silently out of the window. Suddenly, she said, How much will the portrait be? I said that didn't matter, and we'd talk about that afterwards. The things one does usually say, but she insisted that the price must be fixed before I began. So I told her to fix it. She said she could pay fifty pounds. I agreed. If she'd said five, I should have agreed. She took the money and notes out of her purse. She said, you don't know anything about me, and I prefer to pay in advance. I objected. The argument ended by her leaving the dais and placing the notes on the mantelpiece. After I'd been painting about three-quarters of an hour, I decided that the portrait should be more than a sketch and that I should paint all day. But between twelve and one, I began to feel terribly hungry. I never felt so hungry before. I suggested to her that we should go out and have lunch at Varys. She told me to go, but she declined to go herself. She said she wasn't hungry and couldn't eat. Then I said that I wasn't hungry and that I wouldn't go either. I said I'd see whether there was any leavings in the kitchen. I went upstairs to the kitchen. The fire in the range wasn't quite out. The charwoman's apron hung on the knob of a cupboard door. I searched about and discovered three eggs and then half a loaf. I was startled by a noise behind me. It was she. 
She said, If there's anything, let me cook it for you. I pointed to what I'd found. She put on the charwoman's apron, made up the fire, looked into all the cupboards, found some tea, washed a saucepan. Her movements were simply exquisite. I think that these were the most marvelous moments I had ever lived. She was young and extremely beautiful, with fair hair. She was an absolute mystery. I thought what a fool I should have been if I hadn't sent the telegram to Harry. It made me almost sick to think what I should have missed if I hadn't stayed. When the meal was ready, she put everything on a tray, and I carried the tray downstairs, and we had lunch opposite to each other at the Queen Anne table. This table, Field interjected, pointing. A kind of intimacy developed, but we only talked about painting. She evidently knew something about painting. She didn't really know, but she had that charming superficial knowledge that women acquire of things. She must have had acquaintances among painters. I had been working about an hour after lunch when the light failed very quickly. It was impossible to continue. We heard thunder. Then came a proper heavy thunderstorm. The darkness was such that we could plainly see the lightning she turned pale the regular traffic of the square ceased only occasionally a horse trotted by we looked out of the window the rain rebounded from the pavements which were deserted a few people were sheltering in porticos charles james fox in his tight coat of granite glittered with wet and the beautiful mysterious young girl with fair hair and eye were safely under cover in the big empty unfurnished house we thought the rain would cease but it didn't it settled into an obstinate downpour there was no hope of continuing the portrait the church clock boomed i moved the easel to the window so that we could examine it she was enraptured with it i also was satisfied but it was far from finished she said, I can come again tomorrow. I reminded her that she was leaving England tomorrow. She said, Yes, but only in the afternoon, supposing I came very early. Thus we arranged for a final sitting. Then the rain ceased. Dusk, however, had now begun to fall. When we looked back from the window into the room, shadows were gathering in the corners. She put on her mantle and her gloves and picked up her reticule. She would go. She would not let me find a four-wheeler for her. She said she must take an omnibus. I followed her down the stairs. On the first floor landing, she stopped, and I stopped. She said, Mr. Field, you've been very, very good to me, and I've not thanked you at all. You haven't even asked anything about me. It's only right that you should know my name. She opened her reticule, and then she melted into tears. She was so extremely beautiful, and so benign, and so movingly sad, and so seductive, and so enigmatic, and I was so close to her, that I kissed her. She did not resent the kiss, but she gave a little sob. Her mouth was wet and cool. My feelings could not be described. A piece of paper was pushed into my hand. She murmured, Nine o'clock tomorrow. She ran down the remaining stairs. The door banged. 4. The old man's rich voice ceased. He shut the book and turned to replace it in the bookcase. With his back to Deborah, he said in a self-conscious, excusing tone, I was under thirty then. 
and what happened next deborah cautiously asked nothing 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 she never came the first hours of the following day were the most joyously exciting i ever spent but she never came the last hours of the day were the most terrible i ever spent raphael field gave one of his short nervous laughs but you had her address i couldn't find the paper neither that night nor the next day looked everywhere thought i'd stuffed it into my pocket cut open the lining of my jacket couldn't find it only a very small paper never did find it but hadn't you even looked at the paper no you see at first i just sat down and er thought about her i didn't worry about her name at first and you never had the least idea who she was field hesitated before replying you remember the Olinson case no you wouldn't before your time Olinson was a painter pretty good in his day i painted his portrait he killed himself in his studio in chelsea that would be in the autumn of eighteen seventy nine about he was always queer and usually mixed up with women there was a rumor that he was violently in love he was violent in everything but this was said to be more violent than usual and the girl wouldn't look at him well it occurred to me that the girl who came to me that night might be the girl who wouldn't look at Olinson. i see deborah said she said you'd painted a portrait of a friend of hers and she wanted her own portrait for his mother perhaps the mother had a sort of morbid interest in the girl that her son had killed himself for just so the mother and she might have been friendly sorrow drawing them together and so on because naturally Olinson's suicide must have upset the young woman tremendously perhaps it was on account of the suicide that she was leaving england who knows all mere supposition of course i tried to get hold of Olinson's mother she'd died i tried everything i got on the traces of about nineteen girls that Olinson was supposed to have been interested in but mine didn't happen to be among them and i can tell you that none of the others was the least bit like her either a silence why didn't she come back the next day deborah said half to himself god knows perhaps afraid perhaps she had a sense of duty elsewhere she may have been run over people are run over every day if she's alive now she's over sixty she's just a ruin of the girl i knew she may be a grandmother it's forty years ago a long time another silence i think you've never married mr field said deborah lapsing slightly from good taste deborah had his moments of crudity no it's so long ago i suppose it seems to you as if it had happened to somebody else and not to you nothing of the kind field answered with strange curtness it happened to me soon afterwards deborah rose to depart we may as well walk down said field as he switched on the staircase lights deborah followed slowly glancing at the pictures on the staircase walls which field had not as yet shown to him this is it said field halting on the first floor landing there hung the unfinished portrait deborah examined it intently a work youthful but masterly yes a lovely creature in the demoted frock and funny bonnet tantalizing mysterious virginal voluptuous acquiescent 
the wet mouth worth no doubt a couple of thousand pounds at christie's i hung it there said field because it was just there it was just there she stopped and told me i'd been very good to her there was no carpet on the stairs outside deborah stood and looked at the beautiful silhouetted corinthian facade of the famous church rising from the silence of the square hugely against a soft sky and he heard raphael field shooting the bolts within Tomorrow night the decrepit old fellow with his dignified smile half boyish and half senile would no doubt be dining forlornly alone once more at the club what a life what a career what a memory the decrepit old fellow had created masterpieces and he had lived deborah walking thoughtfully in the direction of his immense and perfectly appointed home reflected that though he deborah had got much in this world he had not got quite everything he was a little disturbed in his complacency to find himself envying raphael field End of story six.